0: Okay, grab your Bible and please turn to Nehemiah chapter eight. Last Sunday on Easter, we saw how the public reading of God's Word had an impact. It affected the people of God. Right? In multiple instances, we saw how the people's posture physically really um, told the story of what was happening in their hearts. Uh, Just a couple of the highlights from last week. They're really simple. It's just, number one, God's people love God's Word. Throughout Scripture, you can certainly see this in the book of Psalms, God's people love God's Word. Also, God's Word is central to the life of His people. And when uh, God's people hear His Word, they receive it with joy. They didn't initially receive it with joy, though, did they? If you just glance back at the first 12 verses of chapter 8, you'll see that when, when the book of the law started being read to the people, what was their response? Their response was, was grieving. It was weeping. It was mourning. Their leaders had to actually come and remind them, hey, hold on, hold on a second. There's a time for this, but today's not the day. Today is a day, uh, the way that the text reads is it says to eat the fat and enjoy the wine, the sweet wine. So celebrate. This is a day of rejoicing, don't mourn and weep. Why? Why can we celebrate on a day like today? Well, if you look back at verse 10, Nehemiah lists, he says, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And last week we talked about some of the things that the the Lord takes pleasure in. Namely, he takes pleasure in his people. And uh, so we will kind of see how that affects the rest of the chapter today. So let's read, if you've got your Bible Look at verse 13. We'll read verse 13 just through the end of the chapter, just a few verses, and then we'll, we'll pray together and continue on. On the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. And they found in they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths or tents or tabernacles during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it's written. So the people went out. And brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, He read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Let's pray. Lord, there's a lot for us here. This is not simply just a Jewish festival that that we know very little about. Lord, this is actually something that we as believers can remember today. And we don't have to go and get sticks and branches and make physical booths to live in, Lord. But instead, as Jason already prayed, we remember Christ who became our safe place, our sanctuary, our refuge, our shelter. And so in him we have assurance of all the good things that you've promised. And we're grateful. And as we look at your word today, I pray that our hearts are moved to love it more, study it more, to proclaim it more to proclaim the, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of the perfect Son of God. And so we thank you that we get a chance to do this together. May we be built up as Jesus is glorified. In his name, amen. So look at verse 13. This is interesting here. Um, first, first day, uh, this is kind of a big Bible study in Jerusalem, isn't it? This was a custom that they hadn't been observing very well, and I just kind of want to notice who who shows up. so like that first day or so, everybody's there um, right When the first aso- assembly came together, we talked about this last week uh, the the husbands, the wives, the men, the women. Um, We looked back at the law in Deuteronomy, and it listed there. It listed even the children, listed visitors who were in the town. Everybody came together to hear the law being read. That was kind of the first day, if you will. The second day is listed here in verse 13, and it lists a, a different group of people, doesn't it? It says that on the second day, the heads of the families joined together with the Levites and the priests, and they went to Ezra to have him teach them from the book of the law. I think this is important, um, especially when we remember what we said last week about who Ezra was. Ezra was a guy who just absolutely loved the word of God. It, we we looked at a verse from the book of Ezra last week that said that he had made it his life's goal to to study the word of God, to live it out himself, and then also teach it to others, which is a really great picture of what a Christian ought to be, right? But that was who Ezra was. And so these guys, the, he, the fathers, the priests, and the Levites, all came to Ezra for them to have their own Bible study. And they come together for studying the words of the law. And um, this is significant, I think. These were men who were called by God to teach his law to the people, right? The priests and the Levites. What was their job in, in town, in the city? It was to teach the people what the word of God said. And so now they're being taught. Just a side note here, you've heard this said in all a lot of realms of life, but you never stop being a student, right? You never stop learning. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 75 years, if you've been a pastor for 10 years, or whatever the case might be, we're always learning. And so these guys are supposed to teach it, but they're also needing to be taught themselves, They needed to understand it really well. So that makes sense. Teachers, a lot of times you're going to to years and years of school to learn how to teach. There's There's a process to that. There are ways to do that well. But look who else is mentioned here. It's not just the priests and the Levites. It's the fathers of the house. It's the leaders of the families. They were supposed to gather together along with these spiritually minded guys and learn scripture and I just as I was reading this this week I was thinking kind of playing the devil's advocate in my own mind just why why did the father why were the fathers included here you know I've heard these sorts of questions maybe thought them a little bit myself but it's like why did the fathers need to have this in-depth Bible study and understand the word of God can't the priests just do that Right, The priests are right there. Can't the fathers just say, hey, I'm going to have the priests teach you the Word of God? Right, That makes sense to us. They're specialized in that. They've been taught how to do that. They've been called by God to teach the Word. So why don't dads just drop their kids off at the temple and let the priests do that? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a pas- passage that we go back to often. You've, you've heard it. We're not going to go back and take the time to read it. You can flip there, write it down. But that's the one that says fathers, parents, teach these things to your children while you're walking, while you're sitting, while you're standing, while you're laying down. It, basically, the point is, in all of life, parents, you're teaching your kids. And specifically, Deuteronomy 6 says to teach them the law and the ways of God. And so it kind of helps... Deuteronomy 6 helps helps set the scope for what our responsibility is as parents, especially fathers as the head of the home. We're supposed to diligently talk with our children about these things. And and so as I was thinking through these questions, I I kind of thought, can you imagine uh, a Hebrew father in Jerusalem at this time um, dropping their kids off at the door of the temple with Ezra? And the other guys. And saying, hey, you know, I'm really sorry. I've just got a lot going on today. Uh, can they just, can you can you go ahead and teach them what they need to know here? I, I You know, I, I'd be happy to drop them off and come back and get them. You know, actually, maybe you can straighten them out a little bit for me. Now, I doubt Ezra or the Levites or the priests or God himself would give a dad a free pass to do that in Jerusalem. Do you think that they would? I don't think so. So, so fathers are commanded to teach the, the Torah. That's the first five books of the law. They were commanded to teach these things to their kids. How will you, how will they be able to teach these things to their kids if they themselves don't know what, what it says? And so it was important for the fathers to study and to know what the Word of God said. And so, fellow fathers, this is just a, a friendly reminder to us, an encouragement to us to study God's Word for yourself and teach it to your kids. Now, moms, this doesn't mean you can't do these things either, but fathers, we're we're really called to lead our families in this way. And it, it doesn't have to be this hour-long mini church service every day. My family accuses me of doing that they're all looking at me like, that's what you do. (laughs) It doesn't have to be that way. The more they complain, the longer it goes. They haven't figured that out yet. But Uh, but this, this kind of training and communicating the gospel and the scriptures to our kids, it can happen while you're in the garden. It can happen while you're fishing. It can happen while you're in the car on a road trip. It doesn't have to be here in a pew at a church or around your table. It can and it should be some of those things, but it doesn't have to be all of those things. Understand, dads, husbands, that it's, it's God's call on our lives to lead our families in this way and to spend time talking with them, especially our kids regularly, about it. And so if we're called to do this, if we're called to, to teach our families these things, guess what we need to do? We need to know it, right? Just like these fathers went and studied Scripture with Ezra and the other priests and the Levites, we need to, to study Scripture. And that might mean, dads, we need to do it together. If you're, if you're out there and you're like, man, I, I, I hear you. I have no clue where to start. Please talk with, with myself or one of our elders. We've got resources Dads especially, that we would love to get in your hands to sit down and pray with you. And just really practical ways that you can get this process started. So these guys have all come to Ezra to study the word of God together. And and we said this last week too, Ezra's not a fool. He knows what time of year it is. He knows that it's the seventh month. And in that month, God has told the Jews to celebrate the festival of the booths or the tabernacles, or the tents. All of those words mean kind of the same thing. It kind of means like a tent. Now, none of them certainly were this brightly pink colored, but this is what they were called to do. They said, uh, verse 14, these men were told after their Bible study to go out and proclaim this, tell the people that they're supposed to dwell in booths and Surprisingly, verse 15, we don't see anybody get mad about this. We don't see anybody complain and say, well, I got better things to do. You know, I was planning on fixing my tractor this weekend or, you know, there was no, no complaints. It was like, okay, let's go do this. They they take this message to their families and they say, go out to the hills, go out and grab branches of olive and wild olive and myrtle and palm and other leafy trees to make a tent to make a booth. So they would be making these booths as temporary dwellings. Why? Why were they called to do this? And here's, here's the, the key word for today. It's remember. So that they would remember. Now, if you, if you look at my hands, what do you see here? I see, ca- you see calluses and you see a, a healing blister because I did not remember when driving fence posts that you should wear gloves. I thought, well, I just have a few to put in. It's going to be all right. And like by the third one, boom, there it is. I did not remember. I failed to remember the good word and encouragement that I was given to wear gloves. And the people of God here are encouraged to remember by celebrating the Festival of Booths, particularly what God has done In their lives in delivering them from captivity, specifically in Egypt and up until that day. So the priests and the Levites and the fathers, they studied about this feast and they were convinced to do it. And so since all the leaders were on board, verse 16 describes how the people obeyed God's word and prepared for the festival that was at hand. So they went out and they got those branches. This is how they were going to do this. They would go out and get these branches. They were going to fashion them into a tent. And they physically were going to sleep with their families in this tent for like over a week. And the point of that was so that they would, what's the key word? They would remember. That they wouldn't forget. That they would remember. So this was like a built-in way what, how they could remember. Remember? God said, do this, celebrate this feast, and you'll remember. And so this is, this is why the genealogy in chapter seven is so important. Because it's hearkening their minds back to their legacy, their families, their forefathers, their great-great-grandfathers, so that they would remember. They'd seen their fa- grandfathers, Fathers and, and forefathers had seen God's hand of deliverance coming out of Egypt, going through the desert, all the way up until where they're coming back into Jerusalem now. And they were supposed to pass this kind of stuff on to their kids. So dads, in a very real way, share your, your story with your kids and say, hey, here's, how, here's what God has brought me out of in my life moms share your story with your kids teach them remember we don't dwell on our past in the in the sin that's found there except to except to glory in Christ that he saved us from these things so this is how they were called to remember so they would very physically reenact this idea of dwelling in tents and going through the wilderness into uh, you know, through the desert and all the way up into the, the land of promise where they enjoyed its blessings, at least for a little while. And so reenacting their history like this was their way of remembering that God would save his people now and in the future, just like he did in the past. Do we look at our own stories? Do we remember God's faithfulness in the past? And le- does that drive us then to f- further trust him for our future? I hope that it does. Look at verse seventeen, uh, Nehemiah gives a little bit more of a glimpse into what this is supposed to do. He says, and in all the assembly of those who'd returned from captivity, they made booths and lived in the booths so far so from for, for from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so, and there' was very great rejoicing so outside of the recent safety and immediate enemies their return to Jerusalem from Babylonian and P- Persian captivity would have immediately jogged their memory for what God had brought them from. Those were like the, some of the most recent things in their past. But it would have kind of kick-started that idea. Oh, yeah, he, God brought us, our, fa- our families, through this. But he also, he did that before that. And remember, he did this before that. The, the word "remember" is used in Scripture almost two hundred times. Now, it's it's sometimes it's it's in a negative way. Say the psalmist is saying, "God, remember my enemies." In that way, but the majority of the time that it's used, it's used to direct Christians' minds back to what God has done. Therefore, remember. Even in the Book of Revelation, we was calling out these churches. He says, "Therefore, remember. Therefore, remember." It's, it's interesting here, I, I read this week and I thought it was kind of cool, so I wanted to share it with you guys. Nehemiah doesn't make this one-to-one comparison at all, but he and Ezra kind of stand as a picture of a link to the past with Moses and Joshua to some degree. So like Moses, Ezra has brought the people back to the ways of the Lord. He's given them the word of God, the law of the Lord as Moses did and kind of like Joshua Nehemiah has led the people back to the promised land back to the city of Jerusalem the land that God had given them and he says that since the days of Joshua that maybe the significance in him bringing that up since the days of Joshua this kind of thing hadn't happened now I don't know if that means that they literally hadn't ever hadn't celebrated the feast of the booths up until that day from Joshua until here There's some other scripture passages that kind of lend us to think that no, they did. But I think the point that Nehemiah is getting at here is that since the days of Joshua, it had never happened with this much intention and with this much joy and with this much participation by the people. See, very likely... People were spread out, right? Some of them are in captivity. Some of them are wandering around. They're not where they're supposed to be. And so it was difficult to kind of celebrate this sort of thing on a big mass scale. But these now were days of magnificent fervor, and the Lord makes his blessings known. And you could see, we'll talk about this in just a moment, they responded with gladness. Like they did this with joy, and even though there wasn't maybe some recent history for them of doing this, of celebrating this feast, um, possibly even people, some of their fathers were had forgotten all about it. We don't know, but it didn't matter for these people. They wanted to be directed by the word of God, not tradition, not recent tradition. They didn't want to be guided by that. They wanted to be guided by the word of God. This meant something special to the people in that day they remembered their immediate history what god had brought them from and uh, that this kind of this festival of the tabernacle the booths it helps them remember all of those things now don't skip over the end of verse 17 it says there was very great rejoicing I, i would just wrap it up like this because of their obedience to the word of god there was gladness and I think that's something that we need to latch on to still today. We we sang that this morning, right? Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And look at what the people did. They trusted God and they obeyed his word. And what did God bring about in the city of Jerusalem? Very great rejoicing Gladness see so often, and kids you 're maybe tempted to do this just as much as adults, but um, you haven 't experienced a lot of life, and so your mind hasn 't wrapped around a lot of things, but we tend to think that it 's it 's easiest and it 's best to find happiness or the easiest and best way to find happiness is just to do what makes you happy to do your own thing right we we see the Reese's peanut butter cup on the counter. We know we're not supposed to eat it, but boy, those are the best Easter candy there is. So I really, I'm kind of hungry. I'm going to eat that. And we think that that's going to make us happy. And maybe it does for a moment. But then when reality sits in, sets in, and maybe discipline (laughs) sets in, For doing that, you begin to realize maybe that wasn't the best plan. Adults, we our our things may be more significant than a Reese's peanut butter cup. Maybe not. Um, Those are pretty serious. But we tend to think that the the best way to our own happiness is just to do what we want. And God's word is full of warnings that say no. No, gladness, very great rejoicing, contentment actually come through obedience. Boy, that's hard to convince ourselves of. That's certainly hard to convince a child of. God, adults, it's hard to convince ourselves of this too. But the people's obedience was simple, right? They, they, they said, yeah, let's do this. They went and got the branches. They built the things. They rejoiced. They followed obedience. It was simple. God said it. We'll do it. Simple. And they went out and they did it. And it says that it hadn't been done that way since Joshua's day. Now look at verse 18. They worshipped according to the Lord's instructions. And we see their devotion here in this verse. It says, and day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read, talking about Ezra, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Day by day. Does that describe our method of being in the word? I'm convicted to even ask you that question. Does it describe our method of scripture reading? B- believe me, when I say that this is there's there's n- not an intention of guilt here, there's um not an intention to condemn or any anything like that for having insufficient time in the word of God. But also believe me when I say that our lives are not going to be what they ought to be if we neglect that great gift from the Lord. So obedience to the word of God creates gladness in his people. That's what we just saw, which that in turn prompts even more attention to studying, rejoicing, and obeying his word. I hope we can see that there are positive and there are negative cycles in our lives at play right now in your life. Okay, let me illustrate that just for a moment here. Here's a negative one. It's lying. There, there can be a negative cycle of lying, but there can also be a positive cycle of truth-telling, of being honest. Let me, let me explain. So in the cycle of lying... You've probably experienced this. You, you start with one lie because it's more convenient to, to lie than to tell the truth. Well, then something happens and now you've got to lie again to cover the first lie and you get how that snowballs. And before long, you're wrapped up in a web that you, you can't get out of yourself. You just seriously, you can't get out of it. And this is true for kids and this is true for adults. This is the cycle of lying. It's present in our lives at times. But the cycle of truth-telling, I think, can be just as, uh, have that snowball effect. It's not easy, but telling the truth brings freedom, doesn't it? And so you, you, you tell the truth about something and you say, Wow, that feels nice to not have these secrets. So So then you want to tell the truth again. And it spurs you on, well, I did that before and it hurt. And there was, you know, some difficulty maybe, but look at the good result of it. And then it it creates this good cycle because now you're free because you're not worried about those old lies coming back to get you. They're not coming back to haunt you anymore. And so there's, there's different cycles that play in our lives at different times. And so I say that just to illustrate, illustrate this truth of the reading of the Word of God. The negative cycle of not reading and not studying the Word of God results in, well, not knowing who God is. It results in not understanding what God's call in your life is for. And it deceives you into thinking that you don't need God's Word in your life. Flip that around. What's the positive cycle? of taking time to read the Word of God, to study it. Well, that doing that results then in understanding more who God is. It results in you knowing uh, what God's will is for your life, and it leads you to wanting to discover that afresh and anew regularly, day by day even. So here's the simple version of what I just said. The less you read and study God's Word, the less you think you need it, and the less you want to read and study it. But the more you read and study God's Word, the more you see you need it, and the more you want to read and study it. Because you realize it's what gives you life. It's what frees you. And this this is a cycle that's fueled one way or the other by your view of yourself and by your view of God. Whether this cycle of of reading and studying the word of God is regular or whether it's not. It's fueled by how you view yourself and how you view God. Because if you view yourself more highly than you ought, is the way scripture puts it, you're going to think, I can skip this. I've got better things to do. I don't have the time quite for that. I'll be all right without it. And then you guys know how these habits, bad habits form. And the next time it's easier to skip it. And then it's easier and easier. And before long, you haven't been to church in six months and you haven't read your Bible for yourself in a year. And it happens. And it's a cycle that's present in our lives. And if that's the cycle that you've been on, let me just encourage you, today can be the day that you stop that negative cycle and start a positive one. Take God's word tomorrow and read it for yourself. Dads, this is especially true of us, read it for ourselves so that we're then equipped and prepared to teach it and explain it to our kids as we're fishing, as we're working on the car together, whatever the situation might be, we're prepared and equipped to do that. How do you view yourself? How do you view God? That's going to determine the cycle that we're on. See, because God's people love God's word. We've said that now several times. God's, God's word is central to the lives of the people and they receive it with joy. And last week we really talked also about how God delights in His people. The book of Zechariah says that He actually sings over them. Kind of like parents, you sing your kids to sleep. That's our God. And by God's grace and For his glory, may we be men and women who find great joy in studying the word of God and walking then in obedience. Because those things go together, don't they? Studying the word of God and walking in obedience. One of the commentaries I was reading through this week uh, said this, God's word makes known his good pleasure. And God's mighty acts on behalf of his people show them that he loves them. Those mighty acts are then celebrated in the memorials that God gives his people so that they remember what he has done for them and how much he loves them. And that's why you see the word remember used so often. That's why you see altars in the Old Testament being built. When Noah gets off the ark, when uh, the people put the stone of Ebenezer there. So when they pass by these things, they remember God's work and what he's done in their lives. So I would encourage us this morning, remember God's work in your life in getting you to where you are today. Now, chances are, to be honest, chances are, you may not have gotten here how you thought you would. Right? In fact, there may be situations in your life that you just kind of wish you could forget completely that wouldn't wouldn't have happened in the first place. Certainly that would have gone differently. And yet, I think of Romans chapter 8. Listen to how God assures us there. He says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. Have you ever, have you ever been there? But the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he searches hearts. Or I'm sorry. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the spirit. Because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Here's a verse you may have heard before. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. But we need to keep reading. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is God's will for us, to be conformed to the image of Christ. And he started that process in every believer. And by faith, we walk listening to his word and walking then in obedience so that we might be conformed more and more to the image of his son. Now, I realize we think of that and it might seem like a stretch sometimes like really god what i'm going through in my life is actually conforming me to the image of christ it doesn't feel that way it doesn't seem like that and yet these are words these are god's own words and if they're god's own words we ought to believe them second timothy chapter 2 verse 13 says that he remains faithful Even when we don't, God remains faithful because He cannot deny Himself. So let's go back and apply that as we close here to the Festival of the Booths, to the Feasts of the Tabernacles. The point of them was, what was the key word? The point of these was to what? Was to remember. And so the, so today we're not gonna, I'm not gonna proclaimed to you to go out and cut myrtle branches and sleep in a hut for a week. That might drive this point home a little bit better. And yet may this serve as the same kind of reminder for us. God's not part of a sea in your presence. We have history of this written, but none of you have seen him do that. And yet you've seen him Do things in your life that you know only God could do that. Whether someone's healed or a situation happens and you say, God, that has to be you. Take those moments and remember them. Remember, just like they remembered the booths. May these serve as a similar reminder for us today. Because the painful truth is, if we fail to remember, we will drift away from what we need to know. Hebrews chapter two, verse one tells us this. It says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Remember what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Because there's that very real danger. Imagine a current. If you've ever been at a big river, imagine a current. If you, if you put, how, how many of you guys have been floating on a float trip before in an inner tube? That's the only way to go. Don't give me a canoe, give me an inner tube, okay? But if you go sit in a river, in an inner tube, and just let, let go, what's going to happen? You're going to float downstream. You're not somehow going to miraculously stay where you are, and you're not going to miraculously go upstream. You're going to go downstream. And if we fail to remember the things that God has done, we will be washed away with the stream as well. Those We will not remember what we need to remember. We will not know what we need to know. We need to therefore pay close attention to what we have heard and to what God has brought us through. Remember where you've come from. Remember who has brought you to where you are. Remember who will take you to where you need to be. The way that Nehemiah puts it, the Lord of hosts will do this through the life-changing work of Christ in your life. So here's your encouragement for the day. Trust in his good plan for you. Remember all that he has done in your life. Remember his character. Remember his love. Remember his power to bring all that's going to happen in your life about. It doesn't mean that we sit still and stagnant because then we'll be washed away. Instead, we participate with what the Lord is doing in our life. That sanctification, that being conformed to the image of Christ more and more. Don't don't be like Rod and drive fence posts without gloves. Remember. Remember what God has done. Pay close attention to it lest you drift away. Let's pray. Lord, revival was starting. Here in Jerusalem, we see the rumblings of that with how the people are responding to the the written word and the red word. They were weeping, and they had to be told to celebrate. And then they went and they obeyed. And you brought great great gladness among the people. And Lord, you still have that effect today. You bring great gladness to your people, especially when we're walking in obedience. And so I pray, Lord, that, that that destructive cycle of of thinking we don't need your word or reading it or thinking we don't need to be with other Christians that only leads to, to, to less of those things and more of despair would help us t- to break free from that cycle by your grace today. Help us as fathers, Lord, To remember that you've called us to lead our families. And that if we're called to lead them and we're going to lead them well, we need to know what your word has to say. And so press on us as dads this need and help us to reach out. Lord, none of us know how to do this very well on our own. We need brothers to sharpen one another. And so I pray that you would help us to humble ourselves. And to ask for help if we need it, Lord, knowing that you are there, that brothers and sisters in Christ and this church are there to assist and give direction and guidance, Lord. We thank you that you you keep us tethered to the truth by your Spirit. You anchor us in this truth that you've given us. And so I pray, Lord, that we would take great refuge in it that we would take great refuge in your son. And Lord, as, as we think of Israelites dwelling in booths for a week, Lord, that we might think of Christ as that tabernacle, as that booth, as that tent that we run to. Maybe we need to do that today, right now. Move in our hearts, Lord, according to your spirit. In Christ's name I pray, Amen.